So we are we are the innovators, and uh, our role is to be the the fast and the agile and the less bureaucratic um, organization uh, and partner to these uh, big big uh, aid uh, providers. Uh, we can work a lot faster, but we can also help them uh, try concepts, and we can help them uh, try ideas that they would not be able to do. Hi and welcome to the podcast Making an Impact. This is the podcast where all aspects of working in the global impact sector are discussed. My name is Anna Vask and I will be the host in this podcast. In this episode, we will meet Marta Artakis Tern, who is the Head of Marketing and Communication at Better Shelter in Sweden. Marta will let us know how her work has helped displaced persons receive a good shelter, what it's like to work with a social enterprise, and how to develop a successful innovation project. So, let's get started. Today I'm very happy and honored to have Marta Aretakis Turn, who is the head of marketing and communication at Better Shelter in Stockholm. Marta, welcome to the podcast Making an Impact. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh, maybe we could start by you explaining what is actually Better Shelter? Yes, um, Better Shelter is a uh, social enterprise uh, based in Stockholm, Sweden. And uh, we're about 20 people working there and we uh, develop and provide modular temporary shelter for humanitarian response worldwide. And uh, these shelters are basically designed to provide a higher level of uh, security and privacy and dignity for displaced persons, um, at the same time as uh, they're designed to be a versatile and durable solution for humanitarian aid providers. Um, and they come into flat boxes. Uh, they can be uh, uh, assembled without any extra tools, without electricity, uh, in five to six hours by four uh, trained uh, people. Um, and a social enterprise, um, we're basically a commercial organization, but with social goals. So um, no profit goals, but if we do make profit, this will be invested in the company. So to make the product cheaper, to develop it further, etc. And um, Better Shelter is owned by a philanthropic foundation called the Housing for All Foundation. And uh, that controls uh, our work and, uh, again, to... Uh, makes us uh, focus on the long-term goals rather than, than short-term goals. And um, today the shelters are used uh, all over the world in about 40 countries, um, and not only as temporary shelter, but they also serve as communal infrastructures such as uh, clinics and classrooms and child-friendly spaces. And what's your story? What's the background? The project was initiated... Um, at around uh, 2010, um, in partnership between a group of designers, uh, which would eventually become Better Shelter, uh, the IKEA Foundation and the UN Refugee Agency, UNHCR. And uh, these designers, they uh, started working um, on a design project uh, a few years earlier in the small town of Hellefors in Sweden at uh, Formenshus, a design center. 
And uh, Johan Karlsson, who is our managing director today, he and a number of international design students uh, and practitioners worked on a project in sustainable textile design. And tents are made of textiles, so they eventually began researching tents and onwards to refugee tents and came to ask themselves, why do refugee shelters look the same way they did uh, uh, 100 years ago? Uh, turned out to be many good reasons to why they do. Um, they're cheap, uh, uh, a very quick way to provide a family a roof over their heads, etc. But uh, from an outside perspective, uh, these were the questions they, they asked themselves. Um, so they uh, started working on um, prototypes of a new uh, quickly assembled shelter, basically. And a uh, um, legendary IKEA designer was uh, in the board of this um, Formenshus, this art center in Hellefors, and eventually put them in touch with IKEA because he thought this uh, project was very interesting. Um, and IKEA eventually got them connected to the IKEA Foundation. And the IKEA Foundation was just starting up and uh, already working with the UNHCR Innovation, the Innovation Unit at UNHCR. And UNHCR had at this time expressed the will to look into new shelter solutions. Um, and uh, at this time, the, the team in Sweden already had a promising concept. Um, so, after uh, many turns of events, they actually met up, the three parties, and decided to um, uh, look into this further uh, together. Uh, so uh, the uh, the partnership was formed in 2010. Uh, the designers started working towards uh, a brief provided by UNHCR with the uh, requirements from them, uh, so that it would be very adapted to what was actually needed. Um, and uh, from there on, uh, prototypes were developed, and uh, the first ones were tested in 2013 in Ethiopia and in Iraq, together with um, UNHCR then and a group of anthropologists who studied how the shelters were used by families, uh, what worked and what didn't work. Um, a lot of interviews were conducted with families to hear what was actually uh, their reality and, and what they needed. And um, from then on, they kept on developing the shelters until 2015, uh, when uh, the first industrial version was uh, rolled out, basically. And since 2015, four years ago, we have uh, provided more than 30,000 shelters um, in refugee camps and transit sites and emergency response programs with UNHCR, but also with uh, other humanitarian uh, aid providers. Do they look the same? I mean, the shelters, uh, do they look the same everywhere in the world or do you tailor specifically to certain areas? They um, uh, look the same. So we uh, uh, distribute the same basic unit, um, which is 17 and a half square meters. Um, this can be modified. Uh, it can be uh, um, uh, localized with local material, for example. It can, um, in some uh, areas, it's uh, set up on concrete slabs. In others, it's uh, uh, mounted uh, directly on the ground. Uh, you can mount uh, several units together uh, to form larger structures, uh, which is good if you uh, use them as clinics or classrooms, for example. Um, and, uh, I mean, if we look into the future, we will... Uh, 
probably develop uh, more products that can be even more um, adapted to specific uh, climates or specific contexts. Uh, but for now, we see a lot of modifications being made in the field um, by our by users and by um, uh, the, the partners that we work with. And being a social enterprise, as you are, uh, how do you work with the more traditional organizations? Um, yes, yeah, so we are basically a development partner and also a supplier. Um, so as I mentioned, we develop uh, according to their requirements. Uh, so in this way, we can make use of uh, each other's capabilities and areas of expertise. Uh, we have a main agreement with UNHCR, uh, but we also work with other partners and donors as well. And we do provide training and support uh, in the field. Um, we often visit uh, refugee camps ourselves to uh, to provide technical training and follow-ups, uh, etc., and also to to be able to communicate the impacts of uh, of our projects. So um, the, the the main thing is is that we can develop fast uh, according to to their needs, and we we would never develop something that isn't uh, uh, an express need uh, by a partner organization because they have the expertise and they know what the need is. And what would you say uh, the role of a social enterprise is like yours uh, in the aid sector? Yes, uh, it is very much to be the the agile innovators, uh, to be fast. Um, we are very small, we're 20 people, uh, compared to the very large organizations that we work with. I think UNHCR has 11,000 employees or something like that. And uh, so we can be quick, we're less bureaucratic, we can work fast. Uh, so we can um, help them um, develop a prototype, we can help them develop a concept uh, much quicker um, and, and take the risk as well. Um, and we can also work um, very close to uh, suppliers, to our suppliers, uh, which uh, helps us test new ideas. That uh, So we are, we are the innovators and uh, our role is to be the, the fast and the agile and the less bureaucratic um, organization uh, and partner to these uh, big, big uh, aid uh, providers. Uh, we can work a lot faster, but we can also help them uh, try concepts and we can help them uh, try ideas that they would not be able to do. Um, for very good reasons, uh, the humanitarian aid system is scared of, of risks uh, because you can't uh, jeopardize people's lives by testing new ideas in the field. or So we can do that and then we can provide them something that is already tested, prototyped, uh, but completely according to what they need. What's your own background then? Um, yes, I uh, started working for Better Shelter in 2015, so about four years ago. And my background is in public relations and communications um, in other fields. Um, I've lived across the world. I lived in Bangalore, India for a year when I worked for uh, a textile company. Um, I've studied communications and marketing at uh, Kingston University in London. And 
I've also studied photography and art history. So quite mixed, but um, I've been working with PR and communications uh, the whole time. And what brought you into this field of work? Um, Yeah, I mean, it hasn't been a straight line, but at the same time, I think it started a long time ago. Um, I grew up in a very politically active and engaged family where Swedish and international politics was discussed around the dinner table every night, whether you wanted it or not. And um, I've traveled a lot. And and, uh, when we were uh, kids, me and my family, we didn't go to Mallorca, but we went to Auschwitz, um, to Vietnam, um, to Bosnia uh, soon after the the war. Uh, So uh, I grew up with a very strong um, ideology from home, uh, which is that the world is very unfair and very unequal. And uh, that success and quality of life very much depends on what family or country or class you're born into. So I grew up with solidarity, not just being something you have with your neighbor or people you know, but actually with people from all over and to understand how privileged you are just by being born in, in Sweden and Europe. So working with, with the people and trying to make uh, life easier for other people has uh, been something I've, I've wanted to do my whole life. And it's, uh, for me, it's a very personal, uh, emotional matter. So um, and my family, I have family members who, who work in the aid sector as well. So, so in that sense, it's been quite a natural step for me. Um, so here I am today and I'm, I'm very, I feel very privileged being able to, to work in this field today. But you chose the social enterprise side of it. Uh, why, why did you do that? Um, I think I've, uh, I've always been a bit scared of the, the bureaucratic uh, side that is uh, sometimes well known uh, about the humanitarian uh, world, working for very large organizations. And I know that my personality type and, and the way I like to do things uh, maybe would not fit the humanitarian system uh, the same way. So for me, working at a social enterprise uh, was uh, uh, quite a natural step, I would say. And what would you say is the most rewarding about your job? Um, Well, needless to say, it's when I feel that I what I do has a direct positive impact on other people, uh, of course. And uh, again, I think it's it's a privilege to be able to work with something that is this meaningful, that you feel almost every day when you go to work that you actually do something that makes uh, the world better and makes uh, life better for other people. So, so that is a, a privilege. Um, I also love when I, I get to collaborate with the very professional and talented people within my organization, but also with other organizations, of course, and and being part of uh, a team uh, that I respect, um, feeling that you're you're part of something bigger, I guess. And what is the most challenging about your job? To uh, work according to other timelines sometimes. So working with big organizations uh, that have... uh, different concepts of time than than we do uh, in in a small organization. Um, Can you give an example? The different timelines and concepts of time is is definitely a challenge. Um, 
in my uh, company, we work with three or five-year plans and budgets, uh, whereas in the uh, the humanitarian uh, sector, they usually work with one-year budgets. So uh, even though we can work faster, we also have uh, different time frames to adapt to um, when we set plans, um, etc. We also don't have control always over where the shelters are being sent. Uh, Sometimes things take time just uh, planning um, an implementation, for example, and and there we don't have much control. We have to adapt very much to the partners that we work with. Um, And uh, and that can be uh, difficult, of course, when you feel that you don't, uh, you can't always control the the situation or the speed of of, uh, things moving ahead. Um, For me, it's also to be based in Stockholm. We do travel a lot. Uh, We do travel to the locations where the shelters uh, are used Um, but sometimes being so far away from where the shelters are actually being implemented so far away from the users is uh, difficult uh, for me. Do you have a good example of when better shelter have had a positive impact? Um, yes, um, several. We just uh, released our annual review for 2018 and last year we sent out 14,900 shelters to 22 new countries. And um, recently I went to uh, Kutapalong and Balukali camps in uh, the Cox's Bazar region in Bangladesh, uh, which is home now to nearly a million Rohingya refugees. Um, and I've been there a few times to uh, visit uh, the, the facilities. Um, and the shelters there are used by a, a local NGO, a health NGO, and they use them as clinics. And uh, they provide healthcare free of charge and um, medicine to uh, Rohingya refugees. So um, the shelters were set up in June 2018, so almost a year ago. Uh, and since then, uh, this local NGO has provided 1,800 health consultations every week inside the shelter units, uh, which will amount to about 90,000 uh, health consultations in June, uh, a year later. So uh, being able to to see this, uh, speaking to the patients there, speaking to the doctors and seeing what uh, impact uh, our shelters have together with a local NGO is, is really amazing. So that's that was really, really nice to see. Uh, we also have another project in Iraq where 1,000 shelters are used as uh, classrooms for uh, children who've uh, returned to uh, um, certain areas of Iraq uh, deemed safe enough. Um, so children have actually been able to return to school, they can take up their education again, and they use our shelters as classrooms. Meanwhile, their uh, permanent school buildings are being uh, renovated. Uh, So that's also really, really wonderful to see. And which skills uh, would you say are needed if one wants to work with a social enterprise like yours? Um, Patience. Um, (laughs) Patience, because uh, you work with very large projects which for good reasons sometimes uh, take a lot of time and you may see the the impact of what you do today uh, in two years basically but at the same time you have to be very adaptable to change and uncertainty Um, our social enterprise is a startup as well Um, 
And for many years before I joined, uh, it was a development project and they only had uh, funding for a, a very short while, for a few months, until they knew if it was worth continuing or not, um, if they showed the results that was uh, required. So um, uh, today it's it's uh, uh, a bit more stable, but we are still very um, we still have to adapt to very large organizations, and again, we do not always have the um, control uh, over the project, so we have to be adaptable and, and cannot be so worried about uh, sudden change. And what is the receipt for a successful uh, innovation project like yours? It's been a lot of talk about innovation uh, within the humanitarian sector over the last few years. And uh, I mean, we see and read a lot about uh, these projects, of course, because we're interested. Uh, there's a lot happening within shelter, but also within energy, for example. And I think one important thing is to not try to innovate something new just because it's new. Try to look at the system, try to look at the challenges that are there today and see what you can do to improve that uh, and it, the solution doesn't have to be something completely new um, our shelter is a, a version uh, of the shelters that already exist it can be used in the same settings as, as other existing shelters are used today it's nothing uh, completely new uh, or innovative in that sense. Uh, so you really have to adapt to the system. You have to adapt to the organizations uh, with their huge expertise and ask them, what is it you need? And you also have to build very, very strong relationships uh, that can last. Uh, you have to build uh, a relationship that allows for you to develop something together just the way that we've done together with the UNHCR and with the IKEA Foundation, so that everyone is on board uh, the whole time um, and that everyone feels involved and can share what they need uh, and then we will make something out of it instead of us uh, develop, developing something and then presenting it to our partner in the end. So its inclusion is, is very important uh, for us to understand what they need and for them to understand what we can provide and then work on it together. Thank you so much, Marta, for participating in the podcast. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode and that you found it interesting to learn more about how social enterprises work and their role in the global impact sector. If you want more information, check out our website www.impactpool.org Bye for now and see you in the next episode.